This episode of Creativity in Captivity is sponsored by the Curtis Theater in Brea, California. Presenting Dawn Reed's The Never Too Late Show on Saturday, May 11th. Tickets are available at the Curtis Theater website. Get ready for insight and inspiration on the creative process from an array of artists, writers, and visionaries on May 9th, when Season 7 of Creativity in Captivity kicks off. In the meantime, please enjoy over 150 episodes hosted by Pat Hazel with a stable of creative guests in our listening lounge at creativityincaptivity.fun. This is Creativity in Captivity, and I'm Pat Hazel. Today, I am stoked to have a Soul Train Music Award-winning singer who was nominated as BET's Best New Artist. She is recognized for her powerful vocals and dynamic stage presence. She has recorded with Prince, Lionel Richie, Cyndi Lauper, and Nancy Wilson. She currently stars nightly in Cabaret Zazu's Luminaire. Coming up, one of the greatest R&B singers working today, Liv Warfield. That spark of electricity, a skipping stone that sets you free. You're captive to a mystery, the curse of creativity. La, 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 la. La, 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 la. Oh, gosh. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. I know you're working really, really hard, so I appreciate you investing the time to talk today. Oh, no problem. Really, no problem. So I came to see you at the Cabaret Zazu in Chicago, which is a really extraordinary venue. And I know that you were there previously yes. in Teatro Zanzani, but tell me what it's like to enter that world to create together in that environment. This time, is it's a lot different. This time around, I'm able to play in that space because, you know, it's an over 100-year-old circus tent. It's like the tent brings out this energy it's hard to explain, but once you're in there, you just kind of let go. And I think this time they were like, you could just be live, you know? And I was like, okay, what is that? And I even had asked myself that question, like, what is that? It's quite different for me than a stage performance when I go and I play venues and stuff like that. So there still had to have been some kind of form to how I present myself in that tent. But this time it's really amazing because I'm working with some really great people like Frank Ferrante, and watching him as an artist, as actor and comedian, I'm learning from all of these other people around me how to bring this personality out. Like, who am I in this space? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, a, it's a lot of fun in that way. I play every night. It's definitely not the same every night, but I get to try different things. And Yeah, you're surfing a wave in a way. Absolutely. Let me give the audience a little bit of context. So the Cabaret Zazu is in a a hundred year old Spiegel tent from Belgium that's inside of a ballroom of a hotel in downtown Chicago. Mm -hmm. It's an escape. It's another world where you're treated to this beautiful dining experience. But Liv is uh, one of the lead singers and you just blow the roof off the tent <laughs> because when you're singing, everyone is so intimate. They're so close to you. Right. You're a charismatic performer anyway, and I, I, I'm interested in taking us back at some point here shortly to, to hear how you develop that way of sort of exposing the song and the emotion so strongly, but communicating to the audience so well. So this is all happening in this tent, and you are surrounded by Victor Key, who's one of the world's greatest jugglers, other singers, yes. uh, James Harkness, and Frank Ferrante, yes. you mentioned, is sort of the central 
comic character, but you're backed by a band. And it's pretty hard to really describe it unless people come and see it. But you leave, you just feel like you've gone to a another world. And particularly, I guess I would ask you how this feels working live uh, this much after the lockdown of the pandemic. A is a blessing. I have the highest gratitude for people over there at Randolph Entertainment. They've allowed that space. But the thing is, too, is the pandemic made me get off my ass a little bit in a way to be creative. I was sitting there wallowing and being like, okay, oh my God, if, if this is going to be our situation forever, I'm talking about years, mentally I can't survive like this. I cannot just be at this house and not create. And so... It made me create, you know, I'm used to going to the studio, like physically going to a studio to go record, having musicians there. That wasn't happening. So I had to force myself to do things that was very different for me. So at that time, you know, people were still sending recordings and were, you know, recording in a corner of my house and I'm sending the video and then a friend of ours is like matching up the video. And it, it, it was such a process, but really very happy about the process because I got out of this depression, mm -hmm. I guess. And then after that, you know, when I went into THR, I think that was in 2019 when they started to open up and do this circus kind of 10 on the 14th floor of Cambria Hotel. I was stoked because again, it was a shift for me. It was something different. It was a, it's circus. Okay. And in my mind, I'm like, this is a whole way different world a different respect for these circus artists who grew up in this since they were seven years old and they trained for this day after day so I was trying to figure out how do I wrap my head around being in this tent and being a singer and but I loved the fact that it was new and it pushed me into a direction that yeah I want to try this I want to do something new I want something to expand my mind um I want to meet different people um and so with that pandemic, it just was like, okay, Liv, you got to step outside the box. When this thing is over and if this thing is finished at some point, never again put yourself in that situation where you feel like you're going to be like, oh, this is it. Mm -hmm. I really had to talk to myself in that way and be like, no, you got to figure out ways to be creative. That's the only way I can survive. Yeah, let me tell the audience something that they don't know. In this performance you're doing now, it's a tremendous showcase for your singing. But there is a moment about three quarters of the way through the show where you're doing aerial work and you're singing and you're upside down or you're, you know, whatever you're doing. It's, it's so empowering to watch a person be themselves. There's no extra breath. There's nothing about it that's odd or awkward. All it is is you look up and you say, wow, how in the world? And I know that you started as an athlete. So... Um, I know I do know the director Andrea Weber. We've had on this podcast, and she's done she's yes. done amazing work with Pink and Cher and all kinds of people. But I'm wondering how she lures you into to her trap <laughs> you in this scarf and takes you up in the air. So tell me, did you audition for this as a singer, or did they come to you? No, I was intently watching Drea the last show I was in with her, and I would walk past her every day. And I would just see her, you know, just training and some other artists training. And I said, my back is killing me first. That was the question. She was like, oh, being Drea, being who she is, come over here. Come to, <laughs> let me show you some things that help you stretch your back. It just feels so good. And Drea just has this way about her anyway. She's just so inviting. Her soul is inviting. She's just that kind of person that you want to be around. And 
we got to talking and I had told her I was a gymnast when I started when I was three and I was done when I was like a 14. And I tell everybody, there are some things that just don't leave. They don't leave. But here I am. I don't care. I'll say it. I hate saying my age, but I'm 43 years old. So I'm like, all right, well, I want to learn this, Drea. <laughs> this hanging upside down makes my back feel good, but I want to like, I'm curious as to like everything else that you do. Like it just excited me to walk past her every day. So she kept saying, well, keep coming every day, keep coming to see me and I'll teach you little things here and there. Oh my God. Now I have to like hold my whole body upside down. I had to figure out ways how to hold my body. I had to figure out ways how to not be fearful. The fear part of it, she was pushing way out the way for me. Like she's like, I don't even want to hear you talk about that. And so for me, it became more of a freedom for me. Being in the aerial or in the ropes, as they say, it was a connection for me. I felt like I had finally come full circle from the things that I've been I've been training for when I was a kid to now singing. And I'm like, oh my God, I can actually pull these things together. And I wasn't trusting myself. Drea was trusting every bit of my process more than I was. She was like, I see it. I know what you could do. Just stay at it. So I stayed at it. <laughs> she is a great mentor. She's a very creative director and choreographer. She is. And she works very safely, right? She doesn't she doesn't want to kill anybody. <laughs> no, no, no. She that's really important to Drea. I mean, for her, she's like, I just need you to be safe, but she will also but there was also a trust. She poured into me of like, I see it, I trust you, I know what you can mm -hmm. do. You know, sometimes it only takes that from other people, that people that believe in you to say, I know you got this. I know you do. And I know you know you have it too, but you got it. It's the simple things. And I know she's like, I feel that you belong in the air. And it's already conversations I had been having with myself that she just pulled out you know, and I love her for that because some people, you know, they don't take the time to, I guess, mentor. I think what you're tapping into there is the idea that you have a champion or a person that accepts or approves of you going out on a limb a little bit. And let me take you back now, because we talk about this champion and approval, you had parents that didn't necessarily want you to go become a singer. Yeah, I guess you could say that. It wasn't an option. It was more like, what the hell is going on? What are you doing? Like, we've never seen you sing around the house. <laughs> we've never seen you perform anywhere. Like you're going to school. We thought you were going to school on some track scholarship. Are you saying this was college when you began to sing? Yes. Um, when I moved away from home, I had come from a, a strict family for good reason, you know, gospel and church for good reason. I understood it. But when I moved away from home, I was so sheltered that I really didn't know about karaoke bars and places to go sing. And my teammates were like, oh my God, there's this place that's like a karaoke bar and you can go in and sing. And like, I was like, you're joking. This was my heaven. That's all I needed. I thought I was going to get discovered there. And so I skipped every class. And mind you, I was on a scholarship. I skipped every class. It, it was something that I was just drawn to. I don't know why, but I was. I went every day when they opened from four o'clock in the afternoon till four in the morning. I stayed there all wow. day. Wow, doing karaoke all the time. Every single day of the week I did Oh my God. I had cans, little Altoid cans. And if you go to karaoke, most of you know, you get to write the song on a little slip. And then I would save all my songs. I still have that can upstairs somewhere, hundreds of songs. And then I couldn't sing in front of people. 
I would sing in the corner somewhere. And the process of me getting to this place is crazy because I know it's something that I've always, I've always yearned and wanted it, but my family was like, what? <laughs> this is nuts. Like, no, you're not going to be doing this. We don't see it. So this is a wild leap. This is the part I'm curious about, especially for somebody who might be listening, who is at the very early part of wondering whether they can do something artistically, is that now, I mean, people compare you to kind of a blend of Tina Turner and Sade and James Brown. Like you are like a powerhouse to see those showcases and those performances on the Tonight Show and Arsenio Hall Show and Jimmy Kimmel. Like these are insane performances to get David Letterman to say, cancel show business. We've just seen it all we need to see. Those are honest, emotional responses to watching you work with your big horn section. It really has to do with you leading the way with something that's very urgent inside you. I was listening to one of your songs on Spotify and I thought, this is controlled rage, this song about Crash. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, uh-huh. When you go from being a karaoke singer in the corner or facing the back wall, when do you make the real leap? Like, when do you start to realize, I gotta put myself out in front of this? It was a process I knew right away. Was friends with a lot of guys in Portland who did a lot of hip hop stuff. So I would okay. go to these open mics and then on Portland State campus, I would put up flyers at that point and be like looking for a guitar player. And then the next process was somebody hearing me sing and I would go to see these people, this place called the Candlelight Room. And I would go in the back and see one of my mentors, Linda Hornbuckle, sing. And she would bring me up at one point and be like, you can sing with us, but you have to turn your face to the audience. <laughs> it was those steps. And I had a lot of people along the way, especially in Portland, who really nurtured me and saw something in me that they were like guiding me every little step. Now, the thing was, is you're absolutely right. I was very determined in whatever way. When I tell you, I know this from the grassroots, I've done it all. I put the flyers on the buildings. I've gone to state fairs and sang for curious. I mean, I've done it all. That's just because I feel like it's a passionate thing for me. It's passion. It's really pure passion because I absolutely love it. And so when I got to that point and I, you know, I finally got to the point where I recorded my first album, which was Embrace Me with the amazing Bernard Purdy who played with Donny Hathaway and like all the greats. Like even now I didn't know what I had then. There was also a sense of vulnerability I had then um, when I first started that there was stupidity in that vulnerability because I was finally learning the business. I didn't know the business, so I was getting very much taken advantage of in that part. But I've grown so much and I just wanted the freedom. I missed that part of me where I was like, I went for it. You know, I wasn't thinking about the business part of it so much. Maybe it's a little bit like the aerial work here, right? That freedom. Absolutely. Absolutely. I was drawn to it and still am, but you know, I've gotten wiser and like a lot of people have helped me along the way and they saw little bits of my talent along the way. And a lot of mentors were like, oh, I see this. Maybe need you need to sharpen your tool here. And that's when different people like Prince and other people came into my life right on time. Yeah, Prince seeing you, boy, that must have felt like an amazing endorsement or testimony to the work you had been doing for him to bring you on board to the new power generation and or to work on his 
album, Welcome to America. Did you move to Minneapolis or how did that relationship develop after that? I had enough taste of the business after my first album and I said, I'm quitting, I'm done. Like the singing thing was cute and finished. He saw a video of me singing, Give Me Shelter. And I was somewhere in Arkansas and I got a phone call that was like, you know, you should send your video to Prince because he's looking for another background vocalist. There's somebody leaving at the time. And I was like, mm, no, nah, I'm not doing it. Her name was Marva King, by the way. Uh, she used to be a singer, background singer for Prince. And she's like, well, I'll send a video. I was like, no, you're not going to send a video because I'm not definitely not prepared to be in that type of arena. I didn't think they sent it. They sent it anyway. I didn't hear back for three months. And then I got a call back. But I, it was some random call. It was like, you know, hi, this is Prince's assistant. He's going to call you from an unknown number in like 10 minutes. <laughs> and so I got a call and Prince was like, hello, Liv. I love your voice. Would love to work with you. I've got shows coming up. You want to go somewhere warm? And I'm thinking like, what is this conversation? Fast forward, I ended up at Paisley Park auditioning for him. And that really changed my life because he knew, he very much knew I wasn't ready to be in those spaces. But I think he saw that I was ready to learn and I was just open. I was wide open. I just was like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm here in like Paisley Park. And then I was scared and he came to the front door and he's just like, it's all good. Are you hungry? Do you want to eat? Let's sit down. Let's talk. Like he was just... Like a friend, you know, a real friend. And they just wanted to have conversation. It wasn't about like, okay, let's go in the room and one, two, three, start singing for me now. Right. It was never like that. He knew how to nurture and he knew you had a toolkit and he wanted to help you sharpen those. That's right. Didn't he subsequently produce one of your uh, albums, The Unexpected? Yeah, he executive produced that. Yeah. He just trusted my creativity and trusted it and was like, I'll wait till you're finished and I'll come back and tell you if I didn't like something. Or He didn't really didn't have a lot to say. He he did write the title track or title mm -hmm. of the album, Unexpected. I mean, he was just everything. That must have been a tremendous loss when he departed. A hundred percent. But the thing is, is I know he's always, his energy is always around. Yeah. And purple people that know, they know. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. And I know you've had other collaborations. I was fascinated about the Nancy Wilson collaboration. I saw that you sang at the Hollywood Bowl together, but subsequently you have combined efforts on some fronts, right? Yeah, we did an album together called Roadcase Royale. And then I also did some stuff on her last album she just put out. Like, I love Nancy. I adore her so much. And that was such a trip too, because that kind of landed in a way that, you know, I was such a fan of heart, period. And I think Anne had left so I couldn't get to her fast enough, but Nancy was hanging around and I was like, oh my God, I'm writing this new song. I just want you to hear it. Would you mind listening? And she's like, no, but let's not just say we're going to meet. Let's like meet. And then we met up and we just hit it off so fast that she's like, well, you want to create a band together? I was like, yeah. How cool is that? Yeah, I know. It was, it was great. It's just, it was great. She's amazing. Yes. I think that's fascinating when you probably grew up on heart, right? Oh, God, yeah. So to have these folks like Nancy Wilson and Prince be the ones that are being your artistic spirit guides uh, into other parts of the business. Absolutely. Absolutely. They're like, I don't know, with Nancy, her spirit is so free and like her writing and like, I've learned a lot from her. 
as a woman, I've learned a lot from her. She doesn't give a damn. She just goes for it. I don't know. It's just something about her and also her writing. And she's just like, man, you got this. Like, we're women in rock. You know what I mean? Like, just seeing her energy, just how she just rolls up through a situation and just how she demands that presence. And it's not like it's anything like she's forcing to demand. It's just, you know, it's on her. And then she's the sweetest person. And so I, I, I learned a lot in that way with her. I did. And you do command an audience, like when you're out in front of folks. And I guess I, what I don't know about your history is, do you do a lot of songwriting or are you collaborating with other folks when you write? What's your process? Yeah, I write a lot. Now, just recently, probably over a couple of years, I've started writing with other people because I'm so, I'm so personally connected to my music. And I think that's probably why when people see me perform the songs, the emotion is really there because I, I really put myself into it. I do to the point where it's emotionally taxing, if that makes sense. I do write a lot and I try to perform it a lot as much as I can. And I see you in this show, Cabaret Zazu, and you're able to transfer that emotional power from personal songs to cover songs where you're such a good storyteller with music. Like, I feel like that's what's interesting because some people technically can hit the notes. Mm -hmm. You don't get any kind of sense that they're talking to you or they're reaching in and pulling your heart out. Mm -hmm. But you, I think, have a lot of control over that. And it seems to me that maybe just your deep passion and desire to make each song land in a way where you're taking people on a journey. Yeah, I would want somebody to do that for me. I mean, the greats, my God, they did it. They were so emotionally attached to the lyric, the diction. I want the story. I want to be able to feel it in the notes. There are a million singers. I'm more attached to the ones that can tell me how you feel about the river more than just singing the note so beautifully about the river. It's going to hit my nerve when you really, really get to me about it. Paint it for me. Paint the picture for me. Because some people are just so technically great, and which is wonderful. I love that too. But I just like the intention. You know, I like when people burn with the desire of the intention of the vocal. <laughs> Please reach for it. Well, that intention comes through in songs you sing like Blackbird and mm. Why Do You Lie? Mm -hmm. It's like somebody <laughs> lied to this woman one time. Yeah. And we're not going to stop hearing about it because <laughs> <laughs> it's deep. It's a, it's a scar on your heart the way you sing that. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. For me, I think songs should be. And that, that's how I, I approach it for the most part. Did you see that Hugh Jackman musical that was a circus sort of related musical? Um, there's this great song in it called This Is Me. And mm. that's the feeling I felt when I saw you singing and then doing the aerial work and being upside down and just mm -hmm. you had freedom. You had you were liberated and you didn't care what people thought about you, but you were still there was an excellence in your singing but it's a big thing to hang upside down and sing over people's dinner tables. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You're all in once you go there. 100%. In a costume, by the way, the costumes yes. are extraordinary. But this is a costume that the first time I saw you do it, I go, I hope nothing falls out of this dress. Oh, my God. Exactly. No, Beaver Bauer, who is such an incredible uh, costume designer for this show, she could look at it, me and tell. And she was like, okay, Liv, so you're 
doing aerial and then you're singing too. So we have to figure out a way to like have you looking the way that you want to look like have live be live, but in a way that I could, you're comfortable because that shit matters. It's I'm more comfortable up there. And of course on sweatpants and you know, a t-shirt, but it's, you know, it's got to look good for people <laughs> exactly why they're eating dinner or what have you. But for me, I just have had to have this level of confidence before. Trust me. Cause when I asked Drea, it took me a minute. Cause I was like, Oh, now people are going to see me do this. And I'm not an aerialist. You know, these people who have been doing this for like 20, 30 years, that part stuck with me and bothered me a little bit. Like I'm more of like the freedom of what this makes me feel like. It still does sometimes get to me because I want it to be right. I'm a little bit of a perfectionist when it comes to stuff like that. Isn't it interesting that when you give yourself permission, the judgment of others kind of goes away? I do. Yeah, you're right. 100%. I mean, just as you said about Nancy Wilson, how she doesn't care about what the people think. There is a moment that you're the warden of your own prison. If you don't give yourself permission to take the leap, that's what's really amazing to me about you singing and the beaver bower costumes admittedly are extraordinary of this big headdress on one but a fussy singer could say i'm not going to wear that thing but when the trust comes together and the power comes out there's something about it that is otherworldly you go oh my gosh this is really an amazing collaboration of all these artists in this magical location you've got this great band backing you up and you take advantage of every element of people that are collaborating with you to get the audience on board for a really fun ride. It's quite a night out. Yeah, it is. And I also, too, want to let people know that for me, it's also energy. My God, I'm very sensitive to frequency in a room. I'm sure people who are actors can understand. It's like kind of staying in the zone when you can feel the energy shift or frequency shift, especially in a, being in a tent like that. And it's so intimate that you're like, oh my God, it was so funny. Not funny because nobody was hurt, thankfully, but I was singing during the piano set. It was this really intimate set singing Willow Weep for Me. One of the servers, I think they kind of fell, but they had the food, they had all this trays on, and everything. everybody's super quiet, right? I'm looking over to be like, okay, don't stop, but I also want to make sure everybody's okay. It just can, you know, because it was so, it was so loud. And, but then you have to learn. For me, I had to shift and navigate the energy to shift it and change it because that's another thing that I'm also exposing myself. It's, I mean, you know, I feel like I'm exposing myself every night in that space. The energy and frequency is everything in that room, too, when you come to that tent because we feel it as performers. It's different when it's, on stage or at the House of Blues somewhere. You know what I mean? The forum is in the round pretty much. Yeah. You're not in a proscenium where you can walk from backstage. Like once you're out in the center of it, there's no disappearing. That's right. But also the power of live is sort of amplified. Mm. So I'm curious because you recorded your most recent album was live at Cafe Wa. Mm -hmm. And you came back in 2022 with this album, nine songs that I saw on Spotify. Uh -huh. Maybe there's more. Yeah. That live performance thing is you're always dealing with the unexpected, so to speak, with the audience and the situation and the servers. Sure. So did you tape more than one night or, that, or was that a one, one night live everything? That was one night everything. It's something that I feel like I'm probably very addicted to. I love just the moments. I don't care if there's a mess up. 
I love the listening to real live performances, like going back and listening to maybe like James Brown or the other artists that I like and that I love and I hear everything. Like even listening to the Sarah Vaughn, that's a good point. Willow Weep, the one that I love, you can hear them messing up or she was just like, well, I hope we get this key. We'll find the right key and you hear the audience laughing. And she's like, I think we're done with the song. And it's those moments that I feel like, I oh, God, I'm in the room with her. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm there. And that was the thing about Cafe Wa is I wanted people to feel like they're in the room with us. I also live for that. I also feel like my best work is not necessarily studio recordings. I think if you can capture me live and in the moment, I feel like that's where I thrive better. That's where the lightning strike happens more frequently, I think. Yeah. It does feel like that. I mean, I think that that comes across in the television appearances Mm. because those are very live, even though they're recorded a few hours before they go on the air. Mm -hmm. They take one performance as it is. Yes, yes. And man, you see, first of all, the band backing you up is having the time of their lives because you are a conductor on a roller coaster to fun. Everybody's going on this ride with you. And I think in in some ways your name, Liv, is apropos Mm -hmm. in terms of when you say you live for this. So (laughs) was that your birth name or that's a shorter version of your name? It's a shorter version of my my name is Olivia. People go, hey, Liv, you know. I see. So it sort of happened naturally. It wasn't like chosen as a stage name. No, I actually did choose it (laughs) as a stage name, actually. I didn't want to be called Olivia for some reason. I don't know. I thought it was just too soft at the time. Yeah, but I'm applauding it from a writer standpoint. I love that it's the beginning of the word live, and I love that you live to sing. You know, there's <laughs> yeah. you're embodying. You know, people become their names in many ways. So sure. that there was an appropriate transformation somewhere along the line. Yes. Well, thank you. You have a lot of soul when you sing, and I got to send people to your website among other things because it's a great website full of dynamic performances. Thank you. <laughs> because I was involved in Cabaret Zazu, the comedy and some of the narrative i was able to sort of watch the performances i mean i've never had a job where you go in the last week of your job you go eat meals and watch shows i mean i was fattening up and watching you and james singing (laughs) and Elsie do her contortion work and it was really interesting to watch all of that and it only in the invitation to have you come on the podcast did i do a deeper dive Mm. and i thought wow there's so much backstory you have so much talent Mm -hmm. musical talent i'm the last to come to the party given the collaborations you've had and the people who've tapped you to sing on their records and i want the audience to do the same dive that i did to catch up somewhat oh thank you and by the way if you're in chicago make it a point go to cabaretzazoo.com and get some tickets for a fabulous meal and a great show definitely yes (laughs) you have a new studio album coming out in 2023 and then i imagine that also is equated with some touring or live performances yeah definitely i've got an album coming out in the fall 2023 i've been working on this for some years actually I'm super excited about the tour, possibly doing some aerial stuff in the UK, like incorporating it in my show, doing some Betty Davis stuff. I'm excited about the next year. I've been yearning for this for a while. You know, I've been kind of building myself back up ever since, my, you know, my mentor, mentor passed. It's just been kind of, I feel like I've just been lost, you know, a little bit. And I've been slowly picking myself up out of the mud a bit. 
you know, when you have these mentors or whatever, it's easy to get on the phone and say, Hey, what do you think about this? And what do you think I should do? Or and now I think those things like probably with a parent, you're like, you know what you have to do, what moves you need to make or creatively what you think you should do. And I had to start learning to trust myself again in these ways and what ways I want to do music since I want, I love rock and roll. Do I want to do more of that? You know, there's a lot of questions I've had to ask myself, but I think more so just being and not trying to tie myself to something I have to be, if that makes sense. Like I have to do this genre. I just do. I just have to do what makes me happy for the most part and be creative as much as I can. I would say to you, the words to look for are being proactive instead of reactive. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. So if you're waiting for an invitation or somebody to tap you or to do something, you're in a state of waiting to react. But I think when you're proactive, and again, what you did, the aerial thing, it's a risk, but what you discovered in learning it or taking it a step at a time, as you did with karaoke and other things, <laughs> yeah. is that somebody turned you around and somebody made you face the audience and somebody put you up in the air, right? Yeah. So you are used to that support and that lift, but you're getting to an age where I would say, now you have to be your own mentor. That's you right. are a skilled enough singer. You're a good enough athlete. You know, it's great that you're gonna take the aerial work to the UK. Yeah because you're showing yourself a certain trust to say, yeah, I'm ready to step out one more uh, further on this limb. Yes, yes. I'm hoping that the listener, whatever field they're in, if they're in the visual arts, if they're in music, if they're in theater, that nobody takes you through that door. You have to leap through that door. That's right. There's a moment that you have to do that uh, in a situation with champions and mentors that when they aren't there, when they've passed or were grieving that situation, the absence of their approval or their direction sometimes makes us feel like we're adrift. That's right. The second you step into something that they would be proud of you for, mm -hmm. there's a sense of them being there for you in a weird way. That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. You hear these people that receive an award and then they say, this is for my grandmother or my mother. And in some ways as a viewer, you go, oh, everybody says that. But it's quite different when you're the person who knows that you couldn't even be on that stage or in that that's place right. with somebody that didn't give you a foundational start. That's right. Yep. That's exactly it. If people see your name on a marquee or at a music festival, they should just run, not walk to watch you work. You're at a place where you have built up a very, very, very strong vocal presence and a charisma that is a joy to watch. Even when it's a song that may not be an upbeat song, there's a deep feeling that you are connecting with the words mm -hmm. and you're connecting with the thought behind it. And it's so much better to watch a singer express themselves musically than to hear a song sung. I can understand that. I have fun with the Cabaret Zazu. Again, I, I, I thank them and I, I thank my whole cast. You know, and that's another thing too, is the cast, how everybody is really supportive of each other. You know, sometimes that shit can get real catty, but everybody is in support of everybody's gifts. And I think that's one thing that we all try things every night and we have a lot of fun every night. I'm so grateful for them, really. I am. So tell me about this new studio album for 2023. You're saying that there's some Betty Davis content on there? I've been really inspired by Betty Davis. So there's some th that rock and soul element, but there's also really amazing ballads that I've been working on for quite some time. I've got a, an amazing orchestra that's on there. 
I've been working with a producer in Paris. His name is Julian Decor from June Moon. So I've just been really kind of toying with a lot of these all sides of me. I hate to say what the title of my album is, but I feel like that just really kind of completes who I am as a whole. And at my age now that I feel like, okay, this is exactly who I am. These, this is me and all these elements. So I'm excited about it. It shows it all. But I hate to talk about genres because I feel like I'm a mesh of them all. So as long as I just make great music and good music and people can come see it live and watch us perform it in ways that it's just not just performing it. Like we are really putting the theatrical element into it. Like it's really going to be a show show. And I think that's kind of one of the things I've learned from Cabaret Zazu too. And also watching Prince's Sign of the Times is like, it's also storytelling and you're right. I like to storytell. So it's definitely going to have that, a lot of that energy to it. It's going to be something else. I've been working on this for a while, Pat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, putting on a show is your thing. There's no doubt about it. I also read on Instagram that you're the founder of the Lena Blue Foundation. Can you tell me a little bit about what that is? Absolutely. I'm excited because when you talk about these things about art, I started this foundation because my Aunt Lena was that person that poured into me. Even when my parents couldn't see I was a singer or a performer, she was constantly saying, like, I see it, I know it, I see it in you. And so I started this because anybody who's in the arts, it doesn't matter in any age, whether you find it early or you find it late, I want to pour into these people. I want to build these communities, especially where I'm from, Peoria, Illinois. The community is being built, but it could be built even better. So I want to be able to give back and give back to those kids who actually can't afford to even go to these rehearsals or you need instrumentations or let's find this for you to pour into you what I know, what I see that you want to do. So that's what the Lena Blue Foundation is for. So I've been doing series here in Chicago from time to time where I did this last one at Lay Piano where it blended fashion and music since music is my component. I bring other artists that want to be inspired by other artists that come in from Jersey as a vocalist I've worked with before he performed. And then there's another one that I want to do. We actually sponsor a photographer in-house. So he's working on every time he comes to our show, he's always taking pictures, but it's also helping him too, because I want to pour him into him. So he's getting more work as an artist. So it encompasses everything. And we want to try to do stuff in the communities as far as like food drives. So anywhere that I can put my hands in to help the communities like Aunt Lena did for me, if I can help you, I, I can do it. It's just another artist paying it forward to another artist. It's like what you're doing for me right now, to be honest with you. What you were talking about earlier, it's on all platforms of artistry, all of it. Yeah, well, I think it's great. I mean, you, you talked about how important not just mentors were to you, but people coming and nudging you at a time and discovering you at a moment or turning you in a direction that moved you forward. Absolutely. It's quite hard to navigate that when you're young. It is. It really is. You know, I tell everybody when I say everybody's got a Lena Blue, they do. Like you have that somebody. That's somebody that you, you know, you hear. Like for me, I heard her in my head and in my 20s, you know, and it took that one time for her to be like, I see it. You got it. It's okay. And if it doesn't work out, you're going to find something else. If this is what you want to do, you got it. You know, I'm going to steer you to the right people to get you there. And that's what inspired me with her and having this in her namesake. Oh, I think that's fantastic. Is there a website or? Yes, it's lenablue.org. And blue, by the way, is B-L-U. There's no E on that. L-E-N-A-B-L-U. Yes, correct. 
I wish you luck on that. If there's any way I can be supportive, please dial into me on it. I will be of any use that you need to. I'm always a fan of helping out in anything in the arts. I survived a period of time in New Orleans when Katrina came through. And, you know, we were safe and our house was survived, but, you know, we saw quite a bit of hardship and certainly in the arts and in filmmaking and all of that, which moved out of town. Right. Having moved to Texas, I'm in the Austin area. I then saw storms hitting Galveston and hitting other places, and it couldn't have been easier to come in after the fact and offer a show for give the ticket sales to their restoring their theater. And I, I, that to me is one of the best things we can do. It's, it's right. better than writing a check in a way because in my situation, if they can sell a thousand seats or fifteen hundred seats, it's more than I could afford to write the check for. Exactly. So I'm happy to perform uh, in those yes, situations. Yes. Yes. And I think that's, you know, if we can build up more of a community and I feel like with me in my hometown and other places, if we can just build a strong arts community, because even if you're not going into the arts, it's one of those things that it kind of helps build that community. It helps build a togetherness throughout their communities, especially like when they do murals in Peoria. And I like to see more of that happen. The old saying is if it plays in Peoria, right? Oh, I guess that's right. I think that rather than that be considered an insult, which is if the people in the Midwest get it, that's, I think, what they meant by it. But I think the idea that Peora could be known for its playfulness is something that maybe your foundation and the power of you coming out of a town like that can remind everybody in that area that they've got just as much a shot at the big time as anybody else. That's right. I mean, there's a lot of great people who've come out of Peora, and I just want to pump it up some more as much as I can to help my city and and other people around to do the same thing wherever they are, wherever they reside. Well, I'm going to encourage everyone to check out Live Warfield, L-I-V, warfieldofficial.com. That's her website, and you can find her on Instagram as well. And check her schedule out and go to Spotify and listen to some of the music. Yeah. <laughs> I just can't wait for your next album and your next chapter. It's It's pretty exciting. Thank you so much. Thank you, Pat. I really appreciate you really your energy and everything. Thank you. All right. Cheers. All right. Take care. We will close out this episode by showcasing the powerhouse vocals of Liv Warfield, singing the opening to Blackbird from her album, The Unexpected. Enjoy. listening. Take a moment to subscribe and we will hold your seat for more creative conversation and a weekly spark of inspiration. Our show is produced by Sweetwood Creative in Austin, Texas, with sound editing by the steady hand of Tucker Hazel. Our original music theme was written and sung by Maya Sharp. With additional production support and sanity provided by Delilah Lovejoy, Marcus Siniskalki, Tony Deo, and Diane Johansson. 
please feel free to share your input or dash off a review on social media to help grow our creative community. You can find us on Instagram at Pat Hazel with two L's or visit our website at creativityincaptivity.fun. You're hearing that right. It's dot fun, as in cross your T's and dot your fun. Ciao for now. Staring at an empty page, stepping on a ghostlit stage, a circus of uncertainty. Your call.